church, how many of you remember HMS Richards? Oh, there are a few. That's good. Although I haven't had the pleasure of meeting this man, indirectly he has had an impact on my life. And let me explain. During the 1940s, my wife Jean's grandmother, Jenny Kneister. How many remember Jenny Kneister? Wow, there are a few. Jenny Kneister went to an HMS Richards presentation, evangelistic presentation, at the Odeon Theater in Kingston, Ontario. Now, Jean and I lived in Kingston for many years, and we, we still claim it as our hometown. Well, I think you've guessed it by now. Um, my life hasn't been the same since. The message was passed on from Jenny Kneister to her granddaughter, Jean. And Jean passed that message on to me. Now, she did it in a, a very loving way. Um, through prayer and patience and being an excellent, an excellent example to me um, in the ensuing years. HMS Richards was born in 1884 and died in 1985. He was a well-known founder of the Voice of Prophecy radio ministry. His ministry inspired broadcasts in 36 languages on more than 1,100 radio stations and Bible courses in 80 languages offered by 145 correspondence schools. Now that's quite a feat, isn't it? This message that I am about to give today was one of his messages. I was inspired when I read it, and I want to share it with you. It, and as I present this message, please note how this message pertains to today's world, although it was presented some 50 years ago. You know, HMS Richard's presentation uh, is quite similar to our Dr. Mirage's presentation when he gives a sermon because he breaks out in song, which is quite beautiful. HMS Richards in injects poetry into his sermons. Let not your heart be troubled. Would you just bow your heads with prayer for a moment, please? Our Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you anoint my lips, that I may present this message of HMS Richards in a way that would be acceptable and give honor and glory to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture reading this morning, unfortunately, was the wrong one. The wrong one is 
presented on the screen as I speak. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and I and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. These comforting words are found in the book of John 14, verses 1 to 3. Church, there has always been trouble in the world. Ever since Adam and Eve walked out of the garden. But during the past many decades or so, trouble has multiplied and grown so gigantic that our imagination has a problem to follow it. Now we see not merely a world in trouble, but a world in deep trouble. A dark, deep pessimism and even despair has gripped the thinking of many of the world's leading thinkers. And as we look at the human race and what it has done with itself, we must confess that there is no wonder that those who have given up faith in God in Christ and the future feel that way. The earth-shaking blast of the atomic bomb seems to have convinced some of them that the idea of the end of the world, which old-fashioned Christians talk about, just may have something in it after all. H.J. Well says, without any ifs or ands about it, that the end of everything we call life is close at hand and cannot be evaded. And he makes it clear that people are discovering that a frightful queerness has come over the conditions of life in the recent past. He said that he had predicted the atomic bomb and now he discerns the destruction which man is bringing upon his own head and says that there is no escape. Not very optimistic, is it? Mr. Wells go on, goes on to say that the universe is bored with, with men, tired of him and his own personal quest for peace, and it's just a hopeless dream. You know, friends, as far as I can see from the reading that I have been able to do, those who reject the Holy Scriptures are all pessimists. Without faith in God, the living God, the Father in heaven, anyone who thinks at all is bound to be a pessimist. To such a person, human life is, as Ingersoll the agnostic said, a dark and narrow veil between the ice clads of two bleak eternities. 
Shortly before his death, Voltaire, the famous writer and skeptic of 200 years ago, is reported to have said, I wish I had never been born. Certainly, these are not the words of an optimist. And David Hume, Voltaire's contemporary, speaks of the deepest darkness to which he looked forward. Another thinker without faith was John Stuart Mill, who chose as an epitaph for his tombstone the two words, most unhappy. And this note of despair runs through the life and writings of noted unbelievers in our generation also. John Morley, called by some the saint of rationalism, expresses the same hopeless view of life and the whole world at the very close of the second volume of his recollections. Amatoli France, the most brilliant literary genius of modern France, is reported by his own secretary to have declared in the entire universe that he that there was no unhappy creature. He said that he never had been happy from day one, not even for a single hour. We might think that great gifts of intellect would bring the very fullness of joy to a human being. But Gamaliel, master of many languages and a famous gifted writer of our day, confessed he didn't know what life was. He asked if anyone could tell him something of God, for he said he knew nothing about him whatsoever and that to him the universe was just a wilderness of barren horror. Bertrand Russell, recognized as one of the outstanding mathematicians of the 20th century, and whose books have been read by thousands all over the world, holds no Christian faith. His pessimism is dark and deep. In his essay, A, Man's, A Free Man's Worship, he says that the only foundation for the soul's habitation is unyielding despair. He speaks of a man's life as brief and powerless and says that on the individual man and at least on the whole human race, omnipotent matter, blind to good and evil, will bring dark and pitless doom. Wow. Last of all, we turn to Will Durant's book on the meaning of life. Where in chapter one entitled An Analogy of Doubt, he explains the hopelessness of the doubting philosophers of today with the idea that life is a planetary eczema, a population of human insects, that nothing is certain to mankind except defeat and death, and that death is an endless sleep. He speaks of our time 
as an age of spiritual exhaustion like that which waited for the birth of Jesus Christ. We could go on and on with references to the gloom and despair of the modern mind when faith is gone. And it is not reasonable to ask if skepticism increases, will not pessimism and despair increase all over the world? Got two pages stuck together here. Should we not hope and pray that sooner or later men, men will turn their eyes to a face which gives them something to live for? If men are determined to live without God, they must accept the certain consequences that they will live without peace. In the old days before the advent of Christ, men had lost faith in everything and they laughed at the gods in the streets of Rome. As the Apostle Paul put it, they were in darkness, having no hope and without God in the world. They too talked of death as an eternal sleep and stumbled in the hopelessness midnight of the spiritually blind. Then Jesus came, the light of the world, and all their darkness did flee. What a change, what a wonderful change came to all who believed in him. The darkness and, and despair was gone and they found hope, as expressed in Ephesians 15:12. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may be abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our view of the world and of the people too is changed entirely by conversion. We no longer see it as our world, but as God's world. And we look upon ourselves not as mere jostling egos, but as being with eternal possibilities for whom Jesus Christ has a plan. Oh, my troubled friends, and here is the poetry. Is thy heart a well left empty? None but God its, voice, its void can fill. Nothing but a ceaseless fountain can its ceaseless longing still. The word of Christ to this age is, let not your heart be troubled. And then he gave four reasons why we do not need to be troubled in an age of cultured, cultured doubt. The four reasons are found in John 14. Let's read the first three verses again. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, that you may be there also. Wow. The first reason is that there is a God. We believe in God. The universe is not empty. Far beyond the dim unknown standeth God, within the shadow keeping watch above his own. The next reason is that Christ is the Son of God. Believe also in me. God is not the unknowable. We know him and love him in Christ who said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And that's found in John 14, 9. The third reason for our hope and joy in life is that there is life beyond the grave. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Death is not an eternal sleep. There is a morning coming, salvation morning. Beyond the sunset, O blissful morning, when with our Savior heaven is begun, earth's toiling ended, O glorious dawning, beyond the sunset when day is done. <clears throat> the fourth and last reason for our hope is indeed the blessed hope of our Lord's return. For he assures us, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Believing these four foundation facts of the Bible, we cannot be pessimists. We cannot know the hopeless night of unbelieving despair. The kingdom of God for which every, every human heart seeks, though in blindness, is not meat and drink, not merely the transitory physical satisfactions of life, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, found in Romans 14.7. When Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection, it was this wonderful peace in believing which he so desired them to possess. There in the upper room he said, Peace be unto you, and show them his pierced hands and wounded side. His, wo <clears throat> his wounds spoke peace. Seeing him, they were glad. Then were this then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, John 20, 20. It was during the last 24 hours of his life, just before his crucifixion, on the day of his betrayal, when he was denied by Peter, hated by the world, forsaken by his disciples, mistreated by the soldiers, and about to undergo cruel indignity and death. That our Savior that our Savior said more about peace and joy 
than he did in all the rest of his life on earth. So far as the gospel records reveal, it was during the last 24 hours that he spoke of his own joy. The only time he spoke of it in all the gospels. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. And his joy in the face of evil and pain and death did not end on that one day. It is for his followers in all days and lands to the end of time. Here are Christ's words found in John seventeen thirteen. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Friends, you may have his joy in this life when you have him in your heart by faith. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. John sixteen thirty three. That's where it is. In him. The Apostle Paul had it. In Romans 5, 1 he says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. John Bunyan, found in a Bedford jail. Madame Goyon, after suffering every conceivable indignity for 10 years in prison because of her loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, said, I passed my time in great peace. Harriet Beecher Stowe testified that in the time of her greatest suffering, she experienced the supreme happiness of her life. Livingston found it on his knees when he died in a lonely hut in Ujiji. Charles Spurgeon found it, and he said that the sure foundation of our surest joy and truest peace must come from simply believing in Jesus Christ as revealed in the written word of God. And millions of Christians right down through the ages have borne their testimony that this is true. Jesus told the wonderful, glorious truth when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. The only way to face reality, the only way to have soul peace when we are alone, when we ask the question, what is human life anyway? Is there or is there not a life hereafter? Is death the end of mind, the end of hope, and the end of love? 
Well, we must believe in the word of God, mustn't we? The Holy Scriptures bring us the only satisfying answers regarding the origin and destiny of the world of man, of the world and of man. Where did we come from and where are we going? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? To all those who put trust in the divine revelation, there is a heavenly Father who loves, a Savior who redeems, a life to come with unlimited possibilities, and a reunion of possibilities with mental and spiritual growth beyond our earthly knowing. So whatever we leave out of life, let us not leave out faith in God. This is our protection from the hopeless despair of an age in doubt. Many years ago, King Alexander of Yugoslavia landed at Marseille for an official visit to France. Before he left his warship, he dressed in full uniform of admiral of the navy. Finding that the admiral's tunic was a, a little too snug over his bulletproof vest, he took it off. So when he entered the special automobile which met him at the dock, his protective armor was gone. A few minutes later, an assassin's bullet pierced the admiral's uniform and entered the breast of the king. His protection had been left behind on the ship. Let us never leave the shield of faith behind. Have faith in God, his promises repeating. For listening ears across the storm-torn night, let signals on the radio beams of heaven to guide far-wandering fires to the night. Have faith in God, cold winds of doubt defeating. Find in his love the peace for which you prayed. No more the darkness, no more the raging tempest. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. My brothers and sisters, there is a God, our Heavenly Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Beyond the sunset, a hand will guide me to God the Father whom I adore. His glorious presence, his words of welcome, will be my portion on that fair shore. There is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and with all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4. 15. There is a promise that the Christ of the cross will be the Christ of the cloud. 
that his second advent will end the procession of history, that divine event to which the whole creation moves. Why not? He was here once, and he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There is a life to come. There is the life, this life is just the great kindergarten to the great university of the future. There is a home beyond, a reunion and recognition in a place prepared. Beyond the sunset, O oh, glad reunion, where our loved ones will weep no more. In that fair homeland, we'll know no parting beyond the sunset forevermore. So here and now and on to the end of the story, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen.